Jackie Bull, before we get to today's show, I wanted to share some really exciting news. As part of the NYC PodFest, the Theater People Podcast will be having our first live show on January 15th, 2015. Even more exciting than that, our guest for this live event will be the amazing, beautiful, talented, hilarious, two-time Tony nominee, our friend Laura Osnes. The event is taking place at Fontana's Bar on the Lower East Side. Tickets are only $10, and there's only 100 of them. They're going fast already, so head over to our website where you'll find the link to buy tickets. We're at theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. We hope to see all of you there. Natalie Ashford. Hi, this is Queen Leslie. I'm Robin DeJesus. Queen Leslie Margarita. Hi, I'm Eden Espinosa. I'm Anthony Rapp. Hi, I'm Laura Osnes. I'm Katie Finnerin. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins. I'm Karen Olivo, and you are listening to the Theater People Podcast. Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode 23 of the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. All Broadway debuts are magical and special and fabulous, but there's this specific kind of Broadway debut that has always fascinated me. One in which a complete unknown is cast in the starring role for their first time on a Broadway stage. Sure, it's a total dream come true, something that rarely happens in this day and age where known quantity actors are much easier to sell to producers backing multi-million dollar shows. Whenever it does happen, I always wonder, how did it happen? How are they handling the pressure and the expectations? Is it everything they always dreamed it would be? Today we aim to find out, as we speak to two fabulous ladies who found themselves in this exact position. First up, Margot Seibert, who starred as Adrian in this past season's Rocky the Musical. A seasoned veteran of the DC theater scene, Margot made her off-Broadway debut in Prospect Theater Company's Tamar of the River, before being put through nine auditions, nine, for the creative team of Rocky. We'll let her tell you the rest. Papa sudden rages, Mama turned to stone. Praying for St. Anthony to come and make things right. Margo Seibert, welcome to the Theater People Podcast. Thank you for having me. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. You're so pretty. Oh boy, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Um, is it okay if we talk first about Rocky? Of course, yeah. Where you made your glorious Broadway debut. It was it was quite the debut to have. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it was incredible. Really. Did I read that you did nine auditions? Yeah. Over like seven months or something? It was a long, yeah, it was a long, <laughs> it was a long process. But, you know, everyone, no one knew who I was, mm-hmm. um, which is totally fair. And, <laughs> uh, and I think they needed to kind of put me through, you know, nine auditions. Yeah. To well, learn who I was. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how did the material come to you? It was like through your agent? Yeah, through my agent. Yeah. Uh, just got, you know, one of the typical calls. It's like, hey, do you want to come in and audition for Rocky the Musical? <laughs> and uh, and I think most people think thought it was a very uh, interesting idea, and maybe not the best one. But I took a look at the script, and uh, I was like, "This is actually." I had never seen the movie. Oh wow! So I read the script, and I went like, "This is this is really beautiful." Yeah. And um, did you know it was Aaron Flaherty? I did, and I had grown up. You know, of course, I did. Unfortunately, or fortunately, like I w- did once on this island when I was twelve and played oh. Team Moon. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, that seems um, perfect. It was perfect. great. It was great. And did like multiple productions of Susicle. So I yeah. make new their work, and um, of course, Ragtime, and was a big fan. And that so that was a very exciting part. How like when you went to your first audition, was it like you and nine hundred other girls? They were so. I don't know if this was just 
uh, luck of the draw, but they were so lovely. Um, maybe it was Car- uh, Jim Carnahan's office that, mm-hmm. you know, they never had um, multiple people for the same role at the same time, at least when I was there. Oh. So I would be there with like a Polly and I'd be there with a Gloria. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and so I wasn't in a room with you know, 12 other people who kind of, who are like brunettes or, you know, yeah, yeah, look yeah. like they're all dressing up to be Adrian, which right. can be an interest. It can do interesting things to your mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Did you, did you think when you went in for your, you know, for this, that you had any shot, like in your first audition or was it just I, like another audition? It's to funny. You? I was coming from an interesting time in my life. Uh, I, um, a year prior to auditioning or something, my, my young, young, one of my younger sisters died in a car accident. Oh, wow. So it was like. I wasn't working for a while. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to be. I, I had I'd done this one um, off-Broadway show, Tomorrow of the River, yes, which we'll talk about. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but I kind of was in a place where I, I really didn't feel like I had anything to lose. And uh-huh. I was very much like, I'm going to go into this room and I'm either going to be the right thing or I'm, I'm not, you know, for what they're looking for. But I um, definitely have an access to this vulnerability that she has. Yeah. At least, like, a sp- specifically right now. Or at least I was able to, like, open up enough to just be like, I'm going to bring that in the room and maybe it'll be the right thing. And it was a really nice <laughs> fit for the material. Yeah. So, wow. so yeah. So I didn't know. I really had no idea. And, you know, a couple callbacks in, I'm going, well, at least I'm I'm on the right track. Right. Something's going right. So did they, as the, the auditions progressed, do they start working with you more on the material? Yeah. I would have um, music work sessions with Dave Holsenberg. Wow. And then, so I'd, I would work with him for a little bit. And then I'd do kind of the, my full audition again. Um, and they would add a song and add a song. And and you know, kind of you know, work with me a little bit more on it. it was, At what it was point fun. did you meet Andy Carl? I mean, was he? I know he had done the workshop, and then he when it went to Europe, he didn't know if he was going to be in it when it came right. back. So did did they precast him, and then they they started pairing him? Um, with there were no promises. So he um, he loved. I know that he had fallen in love with the show and had worked really hard on it. But also, you know, just like you said, there were that. If it was going to go to Germany, like, would it come back? Would he be attached to it? And there was no guarantee that he would be attached to it. But they asked him to come back in for it. So he was really, like, ready to kind of fight for it. Wow. And so did you guys hit Physically it off? Did you guys, like, hit it off right away? Yeah, we um, – I guess I met him in the audition room, really, probably, like, number six or seven Goodness like, gracious. Yeah. And, uh, and we have a very similar sense of humor. And, um, you know, auditions are always – it's a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hi, I am Margot. I will be kissing you in this. <laughs> you guys, she said the like, same exact thing to me when she walked yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's just, just like that. <laughs> it's my line. Um, but, you know, it's like that kind of thing. But we, we had a, a really great um, rapport together. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really fun. It was yeah. really fun to – I think because there had been so many um, auditions, I just kept getting like more – well, I'll I'll make the room my own. I'll move things around while I'm – you know, I was like making the whole thing my pet shop. And, um, yes. and I think he was a little like, what is she doing? But it was kind of fun. So we had a really good time. And then we found out that we were from – we grew up close oh, by. Oh, right. And yeah, like we, in Maryland, Both right? from Maryland. Mm-hmm. We both worked at the same dinner theater growing up. Wow. We, you know, we actually had a lot more connections than, than we knew. And so it was a really great, like, platform on which to, to build, like, this – like, we have to be each other's teammates on mm-hmm. this because I – 
without that foundation, you know, at, at the beginning of such a big, such a big experience and with so much publicity and mm-hmm. um, wanting to, wanting the show to succeed and wanting to, to help sell the show, you know, um, that was a really wonderful place, I guess, to, for us to start. Wait, did you meet Stallone during the audition process or, or I after? didn't meet him during the audition process. I know that we, um, we made, you know, so the videos, were, the um, auditions were videotaped so mm-hmm. so i know that he saw all of them mm-hmm. and i didn't meet him until until later so we had i think like a like a preview event um where we sang a few songs and they t- and the artistic team talked about the show for the first time okay so seven auditions and you finally get the call do you remember yeah. getting the call like, do you remember that moment i uh yeah well it was it was it it was kind of like well, by like number six or seven, they they were like, "Have you seen the movie? You should watch." Oh, the wait, movie. sorry, nine like, auditions, nine auditions, seven yeah. months. Yeah, right. yeah. So, so I did watch the movie, and um, but I knew that it was um, probably down to like one or two options, and um, but Alex did call me, and did I was, Alex Timbers? yeah, 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 Alex Timbers called me um, while I was babysitting, actually. Oh, and, like, really? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that's what I was doing at the time, you know, to make money mm-hmm. to survive um had a couple jobs but um i was babysitting a lot so i was babysitting and the baby um was asleep so he called me and he said you know the official offer will come in you know at the beginning of next week but i wanted you to know that like we want you and that you know oh my goodness did was, you lose your mind yeah but like very quietly <laughs> i will say as like, a parent of a six-month-old i appreciate that. yeah she was she was in bed you know all was well but i was like <laughs> In the in the on the other end of the apartment, going, like, I can't like I wasn't gonna like run out into the streets and like go to the bar and celebrate with my friends. I was just so you know. I told the parents that I came that, home. And what did they, <laughs> they came home? What did they, what I mean, they, they were super. This is yeah. it's um, Danny Goldstein, who oh, was actually yeah. my director for tomorrow. Oh wow! All in the family, so they were super excited um, oh. and also like we lost another babysitter, <laughs> <laughs> which is the beauty of the actor babysitter totally. world. Okay. So now if you don't, I'm sorry if this is tedious. I'm no, so no, curious no. about this process. Um, when, once you were cast, once you got yeah. that call and you're super excited, was it also in instantly terrifying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I felt very ready for this, for this part of the journey, because it's not like I'm new to New York, but I've I was doing regional theater, um, right? You know, in D.C. and all over all over the United States. So before before this, so I came from another theater community to here, right? And um, and I I what, but I was I I was terrified. I didn't know, you know, what is expected of me in that situation. What it's gonna everything was new. You know, that's really kind of I'm still recovering yeah (laughs) (laughs) that like every interview and every award ceremony and every you know even um the the stage door you know everything was a new experience and um that's a lot of adrenaline did somebody well my next question was like what did day one of rehearsal look like for you like did somebody tell you what to be prepared with and how that day was gonna go you know one of the most um one of the greatest things I th- that Alex Timber said to me was that he made a request of me before before we started this whole process was that I um, be a team leader for for everyone. That was another question I was going to ask. And, and I knew that, but it was really great that he was kind of instilling that um, respect to me too. That like you know, in order to help helm this giant giant project that. Like you and Andy need to be our team leaders, and so that I kind of held on to quite a bit. And um, 
yeah, I didn't. I, I'm used to working on a lot of new work. I'm used to being in small, small spaces, black box spaces, you know. So this was a, this was a much, obviously a much bigger, bigger thing. And I know the first day that we had our read through, um, which I think maybe was after a week of rehearsal. I don't really remember. But um, <laughs> we had our first read-through and, and designer presentation, which is, like, the most favoritist Right, day. of course. Because um, you see what everything's going to look yeah, like. Yeah, and, like, and my, our minds were if, – if you, you know, anyone who has seen the show and their minds were blown, like, it was the feeling we had when they were, like, sh- telling us about this on a screen or on a piece of paper and being like, and then this will happen. And we were all like, you have to be And then the first 15 me. rows of the audience are going to go up on and the stage like, and we're going to push the boxing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I remember I went to the bathroom and I cried because <gasps> I was just like, I was so overwhelmed. Happy cried. I mean, happy cried. And also like, okay, like give me strength. <laughs> like right. give me the strength to be, you know, this, this, to take this opportunity and fully embrace it, you know. How did other members of the cast who had maybe been in more, more Broadway shows than you, how, how did they defer to you as a leader? Um, I guess, you know, it's funny too, because I was in a very isolated world in this show because I didn't really interact with a lot of the cast. Mm-hmm. So I was a team leader for me <laughs> and me, but, um, but Meaning that Adrian, the character. Adrian, Adrian, the character, you know, kind of only interacted with her brother and with um, her brother's girlfriend and with Rocky Mm -hmm. and not a whole lot of other people. But it was a really beautiful family of a cast. Um, We had a lot of Broadway veterans and a lot of people who had never done musicals before or weren't really, you know, that wasn't or not in their wheelhouse, let's say, Mm -hmm. you know, normally. And that was really fun because I feel like so many people brought – a lot of experience and like a real sense of who they were. That's a really cool thing about this show because, you know, I think Alex does a tremendous job of of casting, mm-hmm, you know, for sure, and pulls pulled very unique people, um, you know, wh- who everyone looked different, you know, even even if they were in like chorus or townsperson, wanted townsperson, townsperson in Brigadoon. <laughs> Um, but you know the people of Philly. He wanted them to look like real people, not right. caricatures of what of what those folks might look like. You know, mm-hmm. not the musical theater version. Right. Well, this was something interesting that I read that you said that the creative team wanted you to sound like you. You have yeah. such a gorgeous voice. I'm <laughs> Thank gonna you. Die. Um, <laughs> but it maybe isn't wouldn't be necessarily described as classical musical theater. Yeah. Did you have discussions about that? Um, well, I had a lot of discussions with myself about that <laughs> because I spent a lot of time, you know, auditioning for lots of different kinds of shows and knowing that there was a very specific sound out there and knowing that I could manipulate my voice to sound that way. Um, I have to say, though, with my work on Tamar of the River, yes. because it's been like I can't wait to talk about that music. In the, yeah, the, and I also, uh, Marissa Michelson, who wrote the music, is my voice teacher. Oh. So it kind of went from a place of, as I learned that music, I also learned what my voice could do and what it actually sounds like if I'm not putting anything on it. Right. Which is a very interesting thing. And that makes sense though. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. Everybody sounds really different and um and I and I think for me I'm I am celebrating that and and luckily other people are celebrating <laughs> that how I sound is something that they respond to. And so and that there can be um 
that you can be free in the voice like that. And that's also, like, enjoyable. How did you know? you know when you went into the audition not to make yourself sound like more musical theatery? You just brought in what you do. I brought in what I did, and I think it was also, like, a process. Because I think that um, I think that typically I do get a lot of um, feedback of, like, can we do, like, a little less vibrato? Can we straight tone this a little bit more? And And – which I understand because – a lot of vibrato can sound like, oh, it's a little maybe too operatic for what we're going for. And I try to explain that when you hear that, that means I'm breathing. Right. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm straight toning it, I'm holding, right. you know? And so I think it kind of came from both parties. I think that like I brought in my sound, but I was trying to modify those things. And then they grew to enjoy what I had, you know? So yeah. it was kind of, it was a balance, I think. Did you get a lot of uh, one-on-one time with Aaron Flaherty to actually like work on the music yeah, together? Yeah, I feel so blessed because that was one of my big, I don't even know if it's concerns, but I was so, I love working with writers and I, and you get to do that a lot when you're in the workshop world, in the reading world and, you know, or doing things regionally and... I, I was nervous maybe it wouldn't – I wouldn't get to do that in this situation. But we had ample uh, table work time with Tom Meehan and, and Aronson Flaherty and, and, and Alex Timbers and, you know, um, and uh, even like Kelly Devine. And we would sit down and we would talk about these scenes. And I would I would try to put together, you know, questions I had and I – I was bold, you know? Yeah. I was like, well, I've, I'm here, yeah. so I'm going to take the opportunity to be bold and to ask the questions. Listen, and, Ragtime, I've got some questions. Listen. <laughs> and, and there were, you know, there were things that I just needed to let go of, which was also, that's all part of it. But I really got to understand, you know, where they were coming from when they wrote the scene or this song and, and give my feedback. And that was so cool. Do you have any favorite songs from the show? I, I got some real good songs yeah. in the show, and I was um, I'm so happy about that. I mean, people, if they people were moved by, I think the emotion of raining, like it's, it was such an emo- emotional song, and I think everyone can relate to a time where they were like, I don't know if I can keep going. If things keep going the way that they're going, I I don't know if I can like keep moving through life. And then there's that very cathartic I'm done where you finally get to see Adrian stand up for herself, which you don't really get to see in the movie. Had enough storms to last my life now that I've seen the stage door and and talk to me about how much they needed to hear that song yeah which was i mean that's like that's the reason we do to hold up that mirror like that's the reason that we do what we do i think do you remember your opening night curtain call yes yes was it surreal like how was that um it it was incredible i mean i don't know everyone's like your opening night you know like savor every moment i can't say that it was actually my favorite Real, of course, I, I, mean, I get that because it's it's uh I, a good friend of mine she always says like i hate when shows are special yeah you know like i hate when you know so-and-so's in the audience like i don't right. want to i don't want to know those right, things right really because i don't want that creeping in mm-hmm. in the middle of a song and going like 
you know, will so and so love the way that I hold Hope this Julia note? Roberts likes yeah, this. like, I, and if she doesn't, <laughs> right, exactly. that's okay, <laughs> right, totally. So, um, so opening night was a was a bit of a blur. It was a bit of a blur. It was yeah. super exciting and a little. It was a little too high adrenaline <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's super great. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I mean, the one of the the moments that I remember being like kind of the most um, thrilling was riding the pet shop in tech, oh. sitting on the pet shop, and it moved out on stage for the first time for the first scene. And so it was the first time I was on the Winter Garden stage, really, like, in the scene looking at the audience. Right. And I couldn't stop beaming. Like, I just couldn't stop smiling. Uh. And that was not, like, you know, Adrian's not a huge, a big smiler, <laughs> right. let's say. Um, but that was, like, a moment, like, it's funny, versus opening night of your right. Broadway debut. That's was what like, it was after. Like, did you have a lot of those moments of like, I'm starring in a hugely anticipated Broadway show for my first time out? Yeah. I mean, I um, I just remember being like, that's my, walking, a pa- walking past the Winter Garden, you're like, that's my job. Right. Like, I work there. That is my job. Not at the Starbucks next door. No. I work at the theater. I work there. Yeah. Where there are sparkly lights. Right, exactly. You know, it's incredible. And uh, What do you, incredible. like, when you started seeing your face on buses and billboards and, like... Just for the record, we are not on the billboards. No, that was my question. You guys <laughs> were on the buses, though, right? We were on the buses. Okay. We finally made it onto the buses. <laughs> because they did this whole, like, pre-campaign before they, I guess they had announced the casting where they right. hired models. Yes. To put in, like, on the on the billboards. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> But, I mean, you were not doing that a month before. You know what I mean? Like, did that, did that just that constantly, crazy. like... It was, it was, it was crazy. I'm just putting myself in the shoes of, like, all the young kids who listen to this podcast. are like, it happened. That's the dream. It happened. It totally did. And that was a really lovely thing, too, to see those kids and talk to people. And, you know, even a lot of people from my high school and my county in Maryland, mm-hmm. you know, would come up and be like... You went to this, you, like you went to Glenelg High School, and you can do it. And I was like, I know that's, cr- I know how crazy that is, and then you can too. Like it just, it's, it is unbelievable. I, we were, I was in, the, we were in the subway system, like you know, uh-huh. um, which was just, it was just very surreal. I mean, the best part was when I, my face finally got like defaced. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that no. was like the best. <gasps> was it in, inappropriately defaced? Very. No. No, it was great. It was great. Oh, I was looking God. forward to the moment. It's just, <laughs> you can't it's avoid so it. It's so surreal that your face is in the subway anyway, that like, I was just waiting. Somebody eventually <laughs> gave me googly eyes. Yes. Too. It was like, yes. but to be, to be on the, a bus on the, on the side of the theater, um, they were very sweet, you know, and put like quotes about, like my performance and Annie's performance and that stuff is surreal like I'm ringing the stage doorbell and there's a yeah. giant like quote about what I'm doing well, so the show so. eventually closed it did <laughs> at some point it closed <laughs> like a month ago I guess I can't believe yeah. God what now that it's been you've had some time away are, yeah. are you able to reflect back on that experience and, and, and understand it differently or, or what are you taking I away am, from it I am I am I you know I I think because everything was so new and it was like you dive into that, it is a machine. Like it kind of has to be because it's commercial theater. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really overwhelming. And I I am very proud 
let me say, I'm very proud of the way that I handled the whole thing. Because yeah. it was like first timer. You can a low so hand. So like, yeah, like I did my best. <laughs> and there are things that now at least I know what to expect, you know, and yes. that's kind of the biggest thing. I can see how life got crazy, how it's so funny how I think when a big opportunity comes, you um, search for yourself again. Like you lose you lose parts of you. You're like, well, I don't know how to dress myself. I don't know how to <laughs> right. dress for an event. You know, <laughs> I obviously have no idea, but really you do. Right. Because I, you know, now I'm 30, so I, I definitely can dress myself. Like I know, like, you know, <laughs> yes. I I made it this far, right. but it's like you lose the parts that are, um, that you, you kind of celebrated about being like uniquely you. Mm-hmm. And I think the kind of the end of it is like, collecting and seeing like oh okay i'm that normal person again i'm totally that normal person and i was that normal person throughout but there were times where you know i just i went with i went to all the events i did all the interviews you know that's that's the that's the the whole deal yeah Yeah. that's the job so oh my goodness i'm I'm so happy for you well if if you'll indulge me i wanted to go back a little bit sure because you were talking a bit about how you came from uh the dc theater scene Mm -hmm. and you worked a lot at the folger and you worked at signature theater well i went to college in dc i went Mm -hmm. to american university um for my international business degree which you're gonna get to at some point uh, you know (laughs) right now since i'm gonna break like but um i i well, you know, one of the first shows that I saw growing up was at the National. I saw Cats at the National. Right. And, like, there are those shows that are coming in from out of town. But but the fact that you can um, you can kind of try anything there. Yeah, there's know, all different. Is, there's, like, Shakespeare Theater and there's yeah, contemporary. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that, like, I did, the, I did a children's tour with the Kennedy Center. Right. Steve did I, one of those, too. I, which was awesome. Yeah. And I left that to do Arcadia at the Folger with uh. Aaron Posner. It was, like... And that was an incredible moment of like, oh, I can also do this, you know, and it gave me a great foundation. Um, you know, working at Signature, we worked on Saving Amy, which was yes, like pre-scandalous. Like, right. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. And, you know, developing there a great champion of new work at Signature Theater. Sure. And, and that's so exciting. And I met Marissa Michelson there. For oh, Tamar. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I met Adam Guan there. Um, and... And that's really lovely. And you can, like, plan out your year. That was, like, a wonderful thing about and D.C. And people work in D.C. and, like, make their livelihoods as actors in D.C. Yeah. I think mo- a lot of people do – a lot of people, like, add one thing on. Mm-hmm. Maybe they teach, you know, voice or – I was working retail at a time. And I was right. – I started um, – I was nannying there. I was oh. babysitting there. So what made you ultimately decide that it was the time to come to New York? I – um. so I didn't quite – I never had, like, the courage to be – like. The day after graduation, and I'm moving, and right. I don't, you know, I, I like to be a little bit more like, okay, do I know where I want to live? Do I know my way around? Do I knew that I wanted an agent? Right. I was going to ask you, how did you get your agent here before you got here? Well, the wonderful thing is the DC theater community. I have so many wonderful friends there, and um, and I would ask people who their agents, when they would be an out-of-town person kind of coming in, who is your agent? Do you like them? Why? You know, would you be comfortable recommending me? Um, and and that's how I, I uh, met Hardin Curtis. Was wow. through Was through... And, and I uh, was cast in Mary Zimmerman's Candide. Oh, yeah. That was done at the Goodman Theater and the Shakespeare Theater. And then eventually went to Boston. I wasn't with it when I went to Boston. But um, – and that was kind of this opportunity that I could um, 
kind of invite representation into. And did people help. come? Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's how I had this, started this relationship with an agency. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, that's it was a, cool. That's an amazing story. I mean, I, th- I took some business classes. The business classes pay off. That's true. You know? Well, you know, that's another thing I wanted to talk about because we have this conversation on the podcast a lot. Mm-hmm. You always say that you're not formally trained as an actor. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, you're very successful. And how I've did you study? I've thought a lot of things about that. I mean, I've been really insecure about it at times because I've gone, well, how do I deserve this? You know, I didn't, I don't have a, a master's, you know, like maybe if I, if I auditioned for Juilliard, would they even let me in? Right. <laughs> like I have no idea, you know? And, um, and at times I think I discounted my own. Just you know, natural ability. Yeah. Yeah. Because of that. And, um, but I, and again, with the, at, in DC, you know, there are so many amazingly talented people who are there and, we're, are very generous with their time and with their advice. You know, I would ask if I needed a, to prepare a monologue or something, I would ask for someone to sit down with me and help me, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and they did. What you do know? you say to the young people who are listening, who are hemming and hawing? Should I go and study this formally? Or I don't know if I really want to do that, but I feel like I should do that. You know, I think that for me it was based a lot more in like, you know, my, my conversations with my own mother, mm-hmm. really. I love you, mom. And, <laughs> um, and she knows this. But it, it, with not knowing if that's the smartest thing to do. Is that, am I going to, if I have a, a degree in the arts, like, wh- how will I get a job? Granted, I was always, like, I've been doing this since, like, professionally since I was 16. So that was always consistent. And, and even though I, was, I had another major I, I found a place where I could go to school where I could consistently be performing mm-hmm. and still do my major. See, that's you're in, you're the the interesting odd duck in that, and that it's yeah. not that you chose between going to college or just coming to New York or DC and going for it. You right. went to college, yeah, just not for acting, right? And I do think you know I'm very thankful because I had a lot of great classes and a lot of classes that you know I, I when I did this like business part of the degree it was in this I studied in the south of France whoa because that sounded cool <laughs> right so I took lang. you know I was um, studying Arabic and I studied French and and took a lot of um, really amazing classes which I think is I never discount like training you right. know in this but I also think it's just as important to be a well-rounded human like being. life experience like life experience um, subjects that aren't related right. to the arts because if you're here, you're going to get trapped in it like right. <laughs> 100% of the time anyway, you right. know? So um, so I'm very happy in the way that it happened for me. I think if someone has the opportunity to go to, you know, a program and and it feels like the right fit for them, then that's... Then do it. Yeah, then do it. So your first big job in New York, I'm assuming you did Tamar of the River with, in New York. I did. I just did... Well, I, the fall before... Rocky started. We uh-huh. had our our off off product we, with Prospect Theater Company. Right. We did it at Baruch College, and that was our like the first time we had a production of Tamar. One of the reasons we were able to get you for the show is because the album is out now from Yellow Sound Label. Yeah, um, and I just listened to it, and it is amazing. Oh, it is so amazing. I mean, okay, let me read this description from from the website. Some of these words I can't pronounce. That's so fine. you're gonna have to I, help me. I don't know if I okay, I'll try. Okay. The sound draws on traditions vast and cosmic. 
Jewish liturgical music, Islamic azans, European opera. She's waving her hands at me. Jazz harmonies, African-American gospel, Japanese no singing, Balkan timbers. Okay, this is the word. Penderechian tone clusters. I've never heard any of these words. (laughs) And Meredith Monkian extended vocal techniques. Now, all of that is to say, it is fascinating, beautiful music. I was called by the river. Holy mission, I heard its song. It begged me to follow to stop the blood from flowing. It said it's been going on for far too long. The thing was, so I started this journey with Tamar of the River. Like I am probably it's like more like four years ago at least. At Signature Theater. In DC. Yeah, in DC. We did a, a workshop of it. And when I was presented with this music. Um, and written by Marissa Michelson, lyrics by Josh Cohen. Um, I was very resistant because it is stunning music and so difficult, like so unbelievably yeah. difficult. It sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, and difficult in a way that it's funny. It's it's now very easy because I've gone through a process of being free enough to sing it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. the, like it seems so hard, and then once you get rid of like it's so hard. It, it's it's less hard if you just let your body uh-huh. like live this. Okay, it's 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 difficult to to describe the tribal stuff. Is it like notes on a page or is it more improv based? A lot of it is improv based. A lot of it is improv based. Um, Marissa has done such a beautiful job of writing what water sounds like. Uh-huh. I mean, that was something that was really that really hit me. So that you have this. This river of, you know, 10 to 12 people. And they um, are quintessentially the voice of God in this in this piece. And sometimes it's not, they're not saying words that we understand. They're singing sounds. They're humming. They're um, improving off of each other. You know, there are there were times in the show where it was, it eventually became kind of set, but it, there was still something that was, you know, I'll use the term organic about it, mm-hmm. um, that could kind of shift and move and, and that I had never experienced anything like that. Yeah. Really. I mean, can you tell them a little bit about the plot of the show just so people understand yeah, what we're talking um, about? Yeah. So this, this woman, um, this girl, Tamar, um, is in the middle of, of kind of this war torn land. It's the East against the West. And, um, and she lives there with, with, with her mother and she, um, and her father has disappeared, and there's, you know, it's, it's. Uh, we assume he's kind of gone to the other, um, to the other land, and he's somehow, you know, killed or something. So mm-hmm. she has. I'm going to try to keep this brief. <laughs> she has. She she sees a vision. She has a vision that is basically urging her to be the one that could possibly bring peace. And every piece of it is told through this music. So through music and movement, yeah. Um, and uh, and and because it's like. The presence, it's so lovely, the presence of, of spirit, the presence of whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I call it God a lot. Mm-hmm. But the, this river is always there. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's always this sound and this pull and this reminder to Tamar of her journey. And um, it's really a musical feat. Well, I, what is upcoming for you? I, please tell me that you're going to make an album. That's thank you. Yes. I've been talking about it recently. Yay. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a always a 
a journey to kind of find out what kind of sound that would be. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I had two albums come out. <laughs> Never had an album come out. <laughs> two albums come out, um, you know, this year with Rocky and with Tamar. And, and so what I've been doing is um, I have – my own solo show um, that I have been performing at 54 Below. And that's kind of my first experimentation, you know, uh, of of sharing the sounds that I love, the mm-hmm. music that moves me or makes me feel silly or makes, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that I've some, – some of the stuff that I grew up with that I love. And um, I'm performing with a full band and, and wow. seeing like – what lands and what lands for me and and you know hopefully that will that will be an album and uh, you know as, in terms of what's coming up next for me i have no idea babysitting <laughs> in the summer of 2013 the musical soul doctor opened at the circle in the square theater on broadway the show told the story of Shlomo Karlbach the father of popular jewish music and his unlikely friendship with the legendary Nina Simone The show didn't last long, but Steve and I saw it and liked it. But the best part for sure was the unknown actress who played Nina Simone. Her voice completely blew us away. The story of how this role came to be hers is fantastic, and we're thrilled to be able to share it with you. Here's our conversation. Amber Iman, welcome to the Theater People podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Of course. Congratulations on making your Broadway debut in Soul Doctor. Ah, thank you, thank you. I remember seeing that show and thinking... Who is that? <laughs> so many people had that same question. So good. You played Nina Simone, of course. I did. Maybe let's start from the beginning of okay. you coming to New York. So you went to Howard University, I right? did, I did. And then you decided not to come to New York right away. Absolutely. Um, I had a full scholarship to Howard, which was great. It just meant that I had no money because I had never worked. So I, <laughs> you know, I had no debt, but no money. Um, I also, everybody who had graduated right before me had moved to New York and they were all at Starbucks. And I was like, I can work at Starbucks in Atlanta. Um, I just realized there was like a common denominator of people just going to New York just because someone told them that that was smart to do. But no one had a plan. Um, so my mother's an actress, and I grew up in the Atlanta theater scene. So I figured, well, if I go home, I can figure out how to get my equity card, maybe get an agent, save some money, because that's smart. Like, going to New York right now for me is stupid. <laughs> so I went home, and I said, okay, I'll give myself two to three years, and I want to, you know, network a little bit. Maybe I can get my equity card. Maybe I can, you know, get some lines on my resume. And I moved back to Atlanta in August. I had my card in September. I booked my first, like, major show in October. Like, things were moving really fast. It was crazy. Um, But after those three years, I was like, okay, I think I've done everything except save money, (laughs) which is the number one thing I came to do. (laughs) Um, But I I just, it kind of felt like, okay, you've been here. The ceiling in Atlanta is like I had hit it. I was doing the same theaters. I was kind of going in a circle. And I was like, okay, Atlanta has given me everything it can. I think it's time to move to New York now. How did it go once you got here? It was horrible. I hated it every day. Um, (laughs) January. (laughs) January 6th. I moved here with $20 in Broadway dreams. And I had a horrible, (laughs) shitty-ass roommate. And it was like the worst thing you could ever imagine. Did you book rent like right away? What's funny is... um, And this is the off-Broadway. This is off-Broadway New World Stages. They were doing a transition. Like everyone's contracts were up. So I auditioned in February. And they were like, we're going to put you on hold. Hold. So I said, I don't even know what that means, but okay. And I actually got a gig singing background for Lauren Hill in Europe. Whoa. So I know I went to Europe in March and April, and then it came back. 
And in May, they were like, oh, you're back. Okay, we want to keep auditioning you. And I started on Rent in May. And then you did this play that I didn't see, but I was kind of obsessed with, which is the Civil War Christmas, right? <laughs> uh-huh, I loved Can it. Can you tell me about this Paula Vogel play at New York Theater Workshop? Absolutely. So funny, um, I was not cast in that originally. I stepped in during tech. Oh, wow. Um, yes, very exciting. Not at all. <laughs> um, and it was the blizzard. Do y'all remember that? It was like November, and it was snowing like ridiculous. Yeah, Sandy, sure. everything was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working this crazy temp job, and my agent was like, can you come to this audition at like 10 a.m. and just come prepare? We're going to give you these sides. You don't have time to learn the music, but just show up. And I went through the snow at this 10 a.m. audition, and I met Tina Landau, the director, who I loved. And she put me through boot camp and that room because she's trying to see in like five minutes if I can do everything that she needs me to do. I go back to this temp job, and at 3.30, they're like, my agents call me like, okay, so you're going to start rehearsal in an hour. If you can get in a cab and get to New York Theater Workshop, we'd be very excited. I was like, what is my life? So I get there, and Tina's like, I love you. I know I'm going to, this is going to be crazy, but here we go. And it was one of the craziest rides. I think it was like three days before the first preview, and this show was an ensemble piece. No one ever left the stage. I played seven different people. I had a seven-year-old daughter. It was like everything you could imagine at one time in three days. Then you make your Broadway debut. Uh, yeah, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was November. I made my debut in July. So, yeah, just like that. So what, okay, so Civil War Christmas ends. You go back to temping? I didn't temp or anything. I was just auditioning, collecting unemployment, hustling. And then, like, right before... Um, the the Soul Doctor audition started. I, I took a job in Augusta, Georgia, doing this one night only show at like the James Brown Amphitheater, like really crazy crap, because I couldn't really afford to live in New York, and the the stipend for the whole show was going to pay my rent. So I was like, I'm going to go home, mm-hmm. and then like the craziness of Soul Doctor started. It was just the, like literally the craziest month of my whole life. So how how did you get the audition? Huh. Funny stories. Um, I went to, I don't know if you know, Kenny Leon is, he's mm-hmm. directing Raising right now. Yes. I just want to Tony. Woo woo, Atlanta boy. I love him. Absolutely. Um, so growing up in Atlanta, I've known Kenny since I was three. And he has this monologue competition that he hosts every year at the August Wilson Theater. And so I went because at the time, I can't, I think it was the holler workshops were going on. Oh. And my agents were like, we can't seem to get you in the room. Well, I was like, well, I'm going to go and say, Uncle Kenny, I need to get in the room. <laughs> so my whole focus of going to the monologue competition was to talk to Kenny. So at the time, I'm sitting there, and uh, one of his, uh, this woman works for education for him. That's all I know. But I also know she is NDRE's manager. So I'm sitting there talking to her because at this time, uh, I think it's public knowledge, but India had done all the workshops for Soul Doctor. So it was her role. So I'm sitting there talking to her, and she's like, well, you know, India's about to do this thing called Soul Doctor, and they need a a standby. You mean, oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I was interrupting you. She was going to do Soul Doctor. Yeah, she'd done the workshops for two years. She'd been taking acting classes. She was signed on. I didn't know Yeah, it's. I think it's like a little known fact, but yeah, it was India's. Um, And she said, you know, they need a swing because she's only going to do like five a week. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. I had seen Soul Doctor on YouTube like two years ago when they were in Florida. And I was like, oh, that'll be a cute show. I want to see that. So, so you knew the role was going to be Nina Simone. I knew it was Nina Simone. I had, I had YouTubed and stalked the hell out of it, and I knew about it, but that was all I knew. And so she said, you know, send me your headshot and resume, and I'll see if they can get you in for this, you know, swing role. And 
in this business, people say stuff a lot of times like, oh, girl, you want to be in Book of Mormon? Yeah. It never <laughs> happens. So I was like, okay, I'll send you my headshot, whatever. And I sent it to her, and the next day I get this email thread where she sent it to the director, and the director sent it to casting, and the director wrote to me and was like, I can't wait to meet you. And I was like, oh, I really might, this might happen. Wow. And so what's funny is my agents call me the next day like, guess what we got you? I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> I st- that's how Soul Doctor started for me. It was like you, I, I went somewhere with one thing on my mind and came out with something completely different happening. And how how many auditions did they put you through? Seven. Seven auditions. Yes. At what point did you start to feel like it was going to be yours? None of them. Wow. It was it was the craziest, uh, just the craziest of crazies because every time you go, you see the eight other women, mm-hmm. and I had been in New York for a year and a half. I had no credits. I was nobody. I knew I got in, you know, by word of mouth. And I'm seeing all these women. I was like, oh my god, I've seen you in this. I've seen you in that. You're famous. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I remember <laughs> the last one was. The the worst the last one was when I thought I I'm done it's it's a wrap. Um, it was like ten o'clock in the morning and they were like we just want you to read with Eric Anderson that's all you're gonna do you're not gonna sing great I roll out of bed I don't warm up I wrap my head <laughs> I beat my face and I get there at ten a.m. and there's three other girls and I'm like oh, okay here this is it because the next day was the first day of rehearsal so I knew one of us in this room is going to Broadway right now so I get in the room and I remember seeing Eric and I shook his hand. And they were like, okay, we're going to start, you're going to sing, I think it was, uh, I put a spell on you and you're going to go into a scene. We've been doing the same thing for all six auditions. I've done this a million times in my sleep. I'm ready. So I sing the song, and then Eric says a line, and I go, that is not the first page. He is on page like five. What the hell? And I just started freaking out because here I am ready to do the scene and he's not where I think to start. So I pulled out the script and I'm flipping pages and they were like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. We didn't give you the note. We're starting on page six. Don't worry. But by that time in my mind, I was like, I fucked it up. I screwed up. It's over. So I sat there and it's like, the competition between my, my heart and my brain, because my heart's like, you got it, you can keep going, you can come back, and my brain's like, fuck it, it's over, you should pack up your shit. <laughs> so I sit there, and somehow we make it through, and then they're like, do you mind singing the three songs? And I'm like, fuck, I didn't warm up, you said I was going to read what is happening. <laughs> so I, I sang three songs, and they asked me to play the piano, I thought they were going to ask me to underwater basket weave, I was like, there's <laughs> nothing I could possibly do, this is audition number seven. So I walked out of there, Just I, I was the last one they saw that day, so I packed my crap and I remember thinking the wait for this phone call from my agent is going to be the longest thing I've ever experienced and it was raining and I was like you know I need to go somewhere and eat a lot of calories (laughs) and at the time Hangover 3 was in the movies and I walked to 42nd you know there's like AMC and Regal and I was like whoever's playing Hangover is where I'm going I think it was AMC so I go I change my clothes in the theater I had nachos popcorn and a slushie I was living the dream I'm sitting (laughs) so I'm sitting there and I'm eating and the movie's happening and I'm not receiving anything because I'm just going over what I did in the audition. I'm eating popcorn and my phone rang and I was like, oh, here we go. So I leave all my crap in the theater, wallet, bags, clothes, and I walk out in my socks. It's 12 <laughs> noon. I have one of these sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and socks and I have my phone and I'm like, hello. And my agents was like, so are you ready to go to Broadway? And I was like, you I mean, I curse that man out. I call him everything but a child of God. But this is the funny part. 
they were offering me the standby role. And so I was so excited. I called my mom. I called all my friends. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm understanding India Ari, who I've loved my whole life. So I watched the movie, whatever was left of it. I take my shit and I go home. At 7 o'clock that night, my agent called me back and he said, are you sitting down? And I said, Okay, at 2 o'clock, you called to tell me I'm on Broadway. If you're calling me back at 7 to tell me to sit down, am I off Broadway? Did they call the wrong person? What is happening? Oh, my God. He was like, actually, NDRE dropped out like a month ago. They didn't tell us. They didn't tell anybody. And actually, you're Nina Simone. Like, you have to be in rehearsal in the morning. Like, it's your first day. Like, do you know what this means? I was like, I'm sorry. What the fuck? <laughs> like, my whole life literally changed Overnight. It was the craziest ride that you could ever imagine. It was insane. How was Crazy. the first day? Crazy. It was insane because <laughs> I remember a week, in, like a month into it, we were all thinking back to the first day. And people were like, yeah, Amber, we thought you were like either a total bitch or like really evil. I was like, no, I was scared shitless. Like I didn't talk to anybody because I was mortified. I kept thinking my agent was going to call me back and be like, so you're back off Broadway. <laughs> it is coming back. That was a joke. So like the whole first week, I was just really frightened because I, I mean, I'm still thinking, like, I'm not qualified. I'm that little girl from Atlanta. I've been here for a year. I still don't know how to get to the F train. Like, I don't know anything. And now I'm, a, like, a Broadway star, whatever the hell that means. And I just had to, like, put all that fear behind me and just, like, go. How was opening night? Oh, my Lord. It was the best. It was, like, the best day ever. You know, the thing about Broadway is, like, if you've never done it, you don't even know what to expect. And so I just remember being like, I should get there really early because I think things are going to be happening. <laughs> and I walk into my dressing room and it looked like a floral shop or a funeral. There were flowers and gifts and cards and they were like, there's this gypsy robe ceremony. I don't know what that is, but I'm going. <laughs> and everyone was giving me champagne and there was just food. And I was like, this is great. And I was like, oh, wait, you got to do a show. Okay, calm down. <laughs> and my family was here and people like tweeting and Instagramming. It was just like a dream. It really was a dream come true. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, what are you working on now? What's next? I'm unemployed and fabulous. Um, <laughs> no, literally, I after Soul Doctor, there was a long. I didn't work again, and I really didn't actually work until March. I booked the off Broadway transfer of A Night with Janis Joplin, oh. which everyone knows didn't open. Um, so yeah, I did ten days of rehearsal, then we got our closing notice. So I literally have not really worked since Soul Doctor, and it's. An interesting time for an actor, especially when you're a Broadway star and people keep calling you that because you don't really know what that means. Um, because after the show closed, people are like, well, you're a Broadway star. Why aren't you starring in anything? Like, why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, I didn't know. I, I just, I'm just trying to work. you know. <laughs> and people are asking you all these things like, why didn't you do this while you were in the show? It's like, I didn't know. I, you know, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You just think, I go to, I go to work. I do my job. What did they want you to be doing? And they were like, well, you should have called this agency to come see you because then you could be signed with this bigger agency and you should have had these people come to see you because they could book you in this pilot. And I'm like, you don't know to do that when it's your first show. You're just trying to do your first show. So I came out of it and I was like, well, okay. So you audition and you hustle and you go back home and you roll in the grass and you eat Chick-fil-A and you come back to New York <laughs> and you're like, what am I doing? And it's, it's a mind thing and it's an actor thing and it's a maturity thing because I equated eight shows a week with happiness. Like, when I'm working, I'm most happy. I can swipe my debit card without holding my breath. I know how I'm going to pay my rent, how I'm going to eat. I don't have to eat $2 pizza and soda every day. Um, and once I figured 
once I started talking to other actors and I realized, you know, people star on Broadway and don't go back for five years, ten years, three months, nine months. And if your only happiness is eight shows a week, you're going to be a very unhappy person. But you don't know that. You go to school and they tell you, here's your audition book, here's your Capizio dance bag, you're going to work forever. <laughs> and my mom one day said, you know, even Meryl Streep doesn't work 365 days a year. And I was like, yeah, so what else am I going to do with my life? And so that's the recent, like, hump I've gotten over is, if you don't work for another year, you have to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And my agents were like, yeah, you have to have a plan B, not a plan B career, but like a plan B outlet, like something else that can keep you sane so that you're not just sitting by the phone waiting on the phone to ring. So what do you do? I'm, that's the question. <laughs> I just recently started, I was like, you know what? You like to sing. You sing. People are always asking for music. You should write. You should produce an album. So I started talking with people back home, and I'm like, I'm going to come home for Christmas, and we're going to record an EP. You just have to find different other outlets that still allow you to be creative, um, but still open you up to if Broadway calls, you say, eh, maybe I want to go to Broadway, maybe I don't. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just thinking in a different way, which is the struggle I've you know, had to kind of say, okay, Amber, Allow yourself to be open. Think, mm -hmm. do things differently. And that's where I am now. Is there anywhere on the internet where people can find your music or find your social media? I am everywhere. I'm on Facebook. I have a fan page at Amber Iman. My website, AmberEman.com, will be debuting probably in the next few weeks. We're finalizing all the finishing touches. I'm on Twitter at Amber Skies. I'm on Instagram. I'm very accessible. You can find me everywhere. We love you, Amber. Thank Ma. you. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for doing the podcast. I had so much fun. I was blown away by your performance. Thank you. So it's really he nice to you. Thank you so much. Don't know how I fell under his Today's episode was produced by Mike Jensen, Vanya Arslanian, and me, Patrick Hines. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Bradley Bean, Steve Tipton, the staff at Oswald's, Ellen Marsh, and Dan Fortune, who would definitely want me to let you know that the cast album for Tomorrow of the River is now available from Yellow Sound Label and can be found on iTunes or anywhere they sell music. Just a friendly reminder to get your tickets to our live show featuring the fabulous Laura Ostas. The show is only $10, and it's happening January 11th, 2015, at 5.30 p.m. at Fontana's Bar on the Lower East Side. You can find the link to buy tickets at our website, which, again, is www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. We'll be back in two weeks with Sideshow star Aaron Davey. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Because don't know how I fell under 